Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Inside Business and Technology. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be pondering the slowdown in growth across the Eurozone and what this might mean for Ireland's fledgling recovery. Joining me in studio to discuss this issue is our economics columnist Chris Johns, business reporter Owen Burke-Kennedy, but first it'll be Berlin correspondent Derek Scally who will join us on the line from Germany. Now recent figures show that the Eurozone economy stalled in the second quarter, raising the prospect that the region's meagre recovery has lost momentum just as it faces fresh headwinds from Russia and Ukraine. Germany's economy shrank for the first time in more than a year, a development that economists largely attributed to a mild winter that boosted activity in the first quarter at the expense of the second. Bigger concerns are also at play in France and Italy, where respectable rates of growth aren't even in sight. We're going to start, first of all, with Derek Scally, who joins us from Berlin. Uh, Derek, can we just ask you maybe to talk us through the German figures for uh, the second quarter and the reasons uh, behind the slowdown in growth there? Yes, hello, Kieran. The, the, the figures were, were disappointing. Um, people were hoping things would be stable or perhaps like growth, but we had a 0.2% shrinkage. Um, now, the German economy is a big beast, and it, it never does uh, drastic uh, movements either way. Growth never gets very high. Uh, the shrinkage is hopefully never gets very low. But if any, anyway, 0.2% in the country, an economy the size of uh, Germany is a cause of concern everywhere. And people were saying, as you said in the introduction, that uh, it was actually a mild winter. Usually, the figures in uh, in the winter would be far worse, but the winter was wasn't as as tough as they usually are here. Things like the construction industry were performing better, so of course, a second quarter then can't look as good uh, against the first quarter if the first quarter has been performing nicely. But the fact that these things did shrink, and particularly with everything that's going on at the moment, eyes are starting to move uh, from the second quarter to the third. Now, when the figures came out last week, um, people who were actually uncharacteristically calm, they were saying, oh, well, there's special special issues. There's also some statistical changes. Um, there's a sort of a new European standard coming in for uh, measuring GDP, and some people claim that there was new ways of measuring the GDP to standardize it across Europe to make GDP figures more comparable. Does that play a role? Other people said nonsense. But anyway, there's a lot of, of sort of special pleading going on. Usually when things go bad here, you get the chicken licking syndrome people start running around claiming the sky is going to fall on their heads but when I, I spoke to some economists and they were saying well the second quarter you know one one swallow doesn't make a summer and one bad quarter doesn't make a recession two bad quarters make a recession and they're worried that the third quarter uh, given that everything that's going on the uncertainty about the middle east ukraine 
uh, and just to stand off at Russia. So that will hit Germany in the third quarter. And some economists have said, if you look into the order books of companies, the, the big German exporting companies, the car companies, the machine makers, um, they're already worried about the third quarter. Food exporters are worried about the third quarter. So um, no panic yet, but we'll, uh, the Titanic hasn't hit the iceberg yet, but they are looking for icebergs already. And the situation between Ukraine and Russia, that's probably more likely to feed into the third quarter, isn't it, than it was in, in Q2. Um, what what exactly. impact, what yeah. drag is that likely to have on the German economy? Oh, severe. I mean, we've seen throughout the Ukraine crisis, we've seen German business people lobbying the government here quite hard to not be too tough on Russia, to not burn Germany's bridges. There's a huge part of the German business community and political community that basically since 1990 have felt um, we can, uh, it's called uh, sort of aid through trade, or we, we can we can open up, we can democratize Russia to trade and economy, and if we happen to make some money out of it, more is the better. And that has always dominated uh, German thinking in the last 20 years, particularly in the Schroeder era. And what we're seeing now is um, that actually trade is not a way to open minds. It can actually uh, it can actually cause problems because it creates a dependency. And uh, when the pol- when the political wind turns against your biggest client, such as Russia. And suddenly you have to decide what's better, politics, what what happens when politics and trade are at odds with each other. And uh, Merkel has brought in the German business leaders and said to them, if I have to decide, I will decide for uh, our political interests and our commercial interests have to take second place. And that seems to be where we are now. The business leaders are falling into line saying, obviously, sanctions, uh, if, if our political leaders think sanctions are required, we will have to respect that. But they're still saying it's going to be a messy third quarter. Um, but the, the economy has been for, performing for so long here. You're probably going to see in the next couple of weeks coming up to the end of the third quarter, a lot of spin saying that actually the economy is so strong. And even if we take the hit on Russia, we're still performing a lot better than we were before. Unemployment is at record low levels and so on. So there'll probably be a battle of spin coming in in, in, in the next couple of weeks. And it's a tricky balancing act for Angela Merkel because obviously she's a big player on the European stage and yet there are calls within uh, the EU for tougher sanctions on Russia. Indeed, I mean, the, the Merkel has always been criticised in the past of adopting the, you know, what's good for business uh, is good for Germany approach and that to hell with human rights and, and what have you. Um, but in, in the Russia crisis, in the Ukraine crisis, she's she's put up a tough figure. She, I mean, her officials say they gave Putin the benefit of the doubt and then some, but as soon as she caught him lying about, you know, supporting troops uh, in uh, separatist troops in eastern Ukraine, uh, and she knew from her own, you know, I, I, intelligence information, I suppose, that you know he was claiming he wasn't supporting them and she knew he was, that she is sort of she's lost all patience with him. She's still phoning with him, but um doesn't take much doesn't take that much seriously. So now she's definitely said that the German national interest and the European interest is now at odds with the commercial interest and I'm sorry, business people and exporters, you're going to have to take the pain. So that's interesting that she's come into line on that because there was a time uh, people were worrying which uh, which way will Merkel turn and uh, she seems to have joined the pack in Europe as opposed to going a special uh, unilateral route for Germany to defend Germany's business interests. I suppose it would be bad for morale in the EU and the Eurozone in particular if Germany were actually to fall into recession, technical or otherwise. Oh, indeed. I mean, the the stuff, the news is bad enough from France and Italy. And um, I, it was interesting last week when, when the 0.2 reaction came out, it seemed to me that the reaction 
outside Germany was even more negative than inside Germany. And I think that shows uh, a sensitivity uh, outside that if Germany catches cold, everyone else uh, could pick up pneumonia. I think sometimes here people aren't even aware just how closely watched Germany is now. I mean, it's always been big. It's always been the motor of the Eurozone. But I think the Eurozone crisis, uh, the way it struck other countries, um, the only light in that dark tunnel was that uh, Germany kept performing um, for many of those years. It, it took its hit with the with the banking and financial crisis, but after that, it was back in its seat, and that really kept kept uh, the lights on in, in, in parts of Europe. And the good news in the German economy that doesn't get much headway or headlines is that German um, German consumers are spending again, and these are the people who for ten years were hamstering, squirreling away their money uh, and not spending. But there's, um, you know, pay increases are coming down the line well above inflation. And um, even the Bundesbank has come out and said, we think the time has come for Germans to have more money in their pockets. So that means that German economy, uh, German consumers, those scared German consumers who are more savers than consumers the last 10 years are actually spending more. So uh, if that could keep up, it might actually uh, be good for the rest of Europe. So uh, everyone is looking towards Germany. And uh, I think the Germans are only starting to realize that they're they're, they're being studied quite closely. And are there any measures that Merkel and her government can take to try and stimulate growth? No, I mean, there's a, there was a study out a, a few weeks ago, and uh, I spoke to some of the authors again last week from the DIW. It's, a, it's the leading Berlin uh, economic think tank, and they've been calling for, uh, rather than piecemeal stimulus growth, like um, the KFW, which is the German state-owned bank, which uh, lends to small and medium businesses, and that's the bank that's helping set up similar um, investment bank in Ireland. Um, they're saying, why are we doing this piecemeal stimulus in one country and another? What we need is a across-the-board investment program uh, where governments, through their state-owned banks, would raise money, put it into a pot, and uh, use the use this uh, raising money collectively to get good rates, pass on savings to the SMEs and get them to actually start spending, investing and so on. They say that there's a huge backlog of investment in Europe and if they could use um, state-backed credits to actually get that going, not loans, but uh, state-backed credits, it would actually stimulate the economies and uh, it would tide us over uh, what could be a bumpy a bumpy autumn and winter. They're saying we can see this coming and Europe is adopting piecemeal approaches like it always has in the past and what we actually need is concerted action. Great. Okay, Derek Scali, uh, we'll leave it there uh, from Germany. Okay, I'm going to say goodbye now to Derek from Berlin and, and thank him for his analysis. I'm going to move to our studio guests, Owen Burke Kennedy and Chris Johns. Owen, you might drill down through those figures for us, please. Yeah, well, it's interesting just as Ireland's economy is taking off, we have um, the Eurozone's feeble recovery grinding to a complete halt in the second quarter. Um, the official figure shows that um, basically France, Germany and Italy are the main drag uh, France and Germany, I think, account for about 66% of GDP across Europe. And they seem to have choked off um, improvements in uh, Spain and Portugal. So it's uh, kind of a little bit of a worrying picture for Ireland, uh, coupled with the inflation rate, which is uh, across the Eurozone at four uh, 0.4%, I should say, well below the ECB's target of uh, 2%. So we have this prospect of low growth and uh, low inflation, Japanese-style which is a potentially lethal combination, I suppose, for heavily indebted countries like um, Ireland. Mm. Yeah. Um, another kind of interesting aspect is the ban on imports uh, over the Ukraine crisis from Russia. 
isn't expected to really kick in uh, till the third quarter, but we're already seeing signs of it now in the German economy, but that could uh, potentially then lead to a second quarter of negative growth in the German economy, which would essentially, by definition, put them back into recession. Um, every kind of positive commentary around Ireland has with the health warning that most of the growth forecasts are reliant on growth in the Eurozone. So where all those growth forecasts are going to be in three or four months' time, it's hard to say at this stage. Chris Johns, how worried should we be in Ireland given our recovery is so fragile? Well, it's fragile, but getting more robust. That's the one encouraging thing that's happened over the last few weeks is that, as you, as you see almost every week now, there's a new forecast that is revised up from last time. So I think that um, we can stop saying it's fragile and, and, and start using the word robust partly because of some good things that we've done here. There's growth domestically, partly because we are connected to um, quite vibrant economies in the US and particularly the UK, and there's some interesting developments there. But also, of, of course, we are connected to the Eurozone. We export a lot of um, stuff to the Eurozone, and it is a source of concern. Um, growth in the Eurozone is probably going to be revised down for the reasons that Owen just, just said. Um, I don't think the Eurozone is going back into outright recession, however, mm. which would be a, something quite serious for them and indeed for us. So it's disappointing. It's a reminder that, um, you know, things aren't always um, rosy out there, um, but needs to be kept in context. In terms of what's going on within Europe, the, um, the onus is always, of course, on the ECB. What are they going to do? And the simple truth there is is that the ECB is failing in its mandate, which is to generate inflation just below but close to 2%. And it's time, and I think that time is coming, that somebody held them to account and asked them why they are failing on the job. And who should do that? Well, that's an interesting question. It's an exercise in democracy, isn't it, in Europe? I, mean, I think um, if you actually read um, the, the rules and regulations of the Eurozone, um, technically the um, ECB is responsible to um, the powers that be in Brussels, and um, very occasionally you will see uh, Mr. Draghi turn up in Brussels for a grilling by MEPs. But de facto, the ECB is a law unto itself. And um, I think that accountability is going to be, should be an issue going forward um, because uh, at the moment nobody is holding them to account. Yeah, I mean, the German economy seems to be going along quite nicely. Why has it stumbled of late? There's lots of reasons, and it's very, very important not to get too hung up on one quarter of negative growth. Certainly, if it repeats it in mm. the second quarter, we will get more worried. But to a certain extent, growth was borrowed from the first quarter. Growth was very strong in, in Q1 because of um, warm weather. And so a little bit of a payback in the second quarter was due. There were some statistical shenanigans to do with certain reclassifications and the way statisticians measure things that actually reduced growth in the second quarter as well. But the, the, the fact is that the mini German growth miracle of the last few years was actually due mostly to what they did 10 years ago, structural reform under the previous chancellor, Gerhard Schroeder. Mm -hmm. um, he did an awful lot of things, loosened up the labor market, deregulated a whole bunch of stuff. Um, cooperated with the trade unions, did all kinds of things under that heading structural reform that you see forever organizations like the IMF and the OECD calling for all countries to do. They did it. Um, and the problem with structural reform, one of the reasons why it so rarely happens, is that its effects take an awful long time to come through. But they came through on Angela Merkel's watch, lucky her. Um, and that helped the, 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 or really helped drive the German growth miracle of the, la of the last few years. But they did structural reform 10 years ago. 
full stop. They haven't repeated it. They have, and indeed, they rode back on some of their reforms. One of the nutty things that they did last year, for example, was that those previous reforms raised the retirement age. And we all know about pension crises. That's a separate topic. But one way you deal with pension problems and labour supply issues is by raising the retirement age. They raised it all the way to 65 in Germany, and now they've put it back down again to 63. Rowing back on structural reforms is not a good sign. So fading structural reforms and continued austerity even in Germany, I mean, they, they don't need it, but they do it. They, they have a constitutionally mandated but, um, uh, balanced budget that they're moving towards. Um, and the fact that Germany, all it ever does is export, never spends any money on consumption, German, if you, you no country ever got rich by thinking it was going to export to Germany. You put all of that together in the mix and, and Germany is fading. Um, I don't think it's going back into recession. But what it means is, is that don't expect too much from Germany. You know, 1% growth would be the sort of thing that I would expect to see organizations like the OECD, the Bundesbank, the EU itself forecasting for, for Germany for the next couple of years, which is not recession, but it ain't much to get excited about. Sure. Owen, uh, today being Wednesday, Good Buddy Stockbrokers published uh, its view of the Irish economy and, and what it thinks might happen in the next budget. They're predicting a 3% GDP growth in and around what a lot of other uh, economists in Ireland are saying. So what impact might this uh, slowdown, if you like, in growth in the Eurozone have on, on that Irish uh, economic story? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, Spain, for example, uh, slashed its its growth forecast for the year and a half on the back of that slowdown, which was quite a move. It doesn't seem to have impacted much of the forecasters um, in Ireland there, <clears throat> along with Davies, along with IBEC, good bodies are forecasting 3% growth, um, which is kind of in keeping with, you know, the ESI. Um, it's a little bit ahead of government forecasts, but roughly the same sort of ballpark. So it remains to be seen if, if we are going to uh, cut our forecast. It doesn't seem like um, anybody's getting too alarmed. And as Chris says, it is, you know, one quarter in the middle of a whole year. We haven't got the whole year results. So Nobody is is jumping to any conclusions about where yeah. growth is going in Europe. But Chris, should we be concerned about the Ukraine situation? It looks as if it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, and that impact surely will be felt in the second half of the year. It's certainly going to be impacted on countries like Germany. Um, arguably, as Owen said, it's it's already had an impact, particularly in terms of business and economic sentiment indicators are suggesting mm. that Germany's taken a hit, and that the GDP data will will follow later. Because um, it's not just about German exports to Russia, which in the wider scheme of things are not that big, but it's about German exports to countries like Poland. Um, and when you add up the second and third round effects of what might be happening, um, German exports clearly are already starting to suffer. And we're seeing it at company level data coming in as well. Um, European beer companies selling mm. beer in Russia are being impacted, for example. You'd expect luxury goods like car sales in Russia from places like Germany, particularly Germany. Well, agri-sales out of Ireland have been affected, yes, aren't they? absolutely. So everybody's going to be hurt a little bit. Um, we have to be thankful for the fact that you know we still have such extensive trade links with the US and particularly the UK. Today, we had the first dissent on the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Making Council about interest rates. The UK is doing so well. Mm. The two policymakers, it was revealed today, have voted for an immediate rate rise. That's a minority. It'll be a while before a majority on that council ask for a rate rise. But that's a sign of how, in a way, things are going so well in the UK that they're now thinking of raising rates in complete opposition, of course, to what the ECB is being urged to do, which is, which is to reduce, uh, to relax things further. Um, that, you know, higher rates... Um, in the UK will, will obviously act to slow the economy down. But that's because it is growing so quickly. One of the consequences of all of that, 
both in the UK and the US is that both sterling and the dollar are appreciating. Um, I think we're at a nine-month low for the dollar against, uh, for the euro against the dollar today. Um, and for us, as the small trading nation that we are, that's great news. And the US is actually doing quite well, isn't it? Q2 uh, growth was good. Yeah, and again, similar to the German story, there was a you know a Q1, Q2 effect. Q1 growth was very low in the United States because, again, because of weather, but different weather, very cold weather. So there was some uh, bounce back effect there. But the, the the underlying story in the US is not that different to one in the UK, which is that you know um, things, the banking system, if anything, in the US is well ahead of where it is in the UK, which is close to being fixed. Um, so that problem that, that we still have in Europe isn't present in the United States. Um, monetary policy is still, you know, flat out on the floor, although um, there will be, a nut, like the UK, a tap on the brakes coming. Um, so, yeah, the, the US is, 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 in, is in good shape. You know, their unemployment rate um, is falling. Um, they're creating jobs at a, at, a, at a reasonably rapid rate. So, again, our connections with the United States, both in terms of our trade with the United States, but FDI flows as well. It always helps us when the U.S. is doing well um, th- through all of the various channels uh, and connections that we have. And sort of the, the Eurozone flatness, if you like, um, for want of a better phrase, it's almost a good thing for Ireland, isn't it? Because it keeps interest rates low. And that's the one thing we really need for the banks to continue their recovery is low interest rates because we have so many people in mortgage arrears that if interest rates start to rise. Yeah, I can't count the number of times in my career I've got an interest rate forecast wrong. So um, that said, the, the chances of a rate rise for as far as the eye can see in Europe is, is as close to nil as I've ever seen it. We're going we're gonna to have these low interest rates for a very, very long period of time because of what is, what is happening in Europe. As Owen said, we're turning Japanese. Mm. And the Japanese now have had low interest rates for decades. Um, you know, the, the, the silver lining to turning Japanese is, is, is the low interest rate environment. But, you know, the, the underlying feature of being like the Japanese economy is that they're now into um, the start of their third decade without any growth. Yeah, it's extraordinary, really. Owen, do you think uh, all of this uh, lack of growth across the, the Eurozone might it impact the budget arithmetic uh, for the government here? Well, I mean... It seems like only a few months ago we were talking about a two billion adjustment. I think it would be political suicide now for the government to even contemplate doing anything. Um, and again, good body saying there's no need for any adjustment. Yeah, the water charges uh, will suffice. That will bring in about 500 million euro. Something that the ERSI had actually said uh, earlier this year that the water charges, which are between 300 and 500 million in terms of austerity, will um, bring us to that figure uh, of a 3% budget deficit next year. It seems like the government uh, strategy all along, since the Troika have been in town, is to to kind of under-province and overachieve. And it seems like we're going to uh, hit that target, um, you know, quite easily next year. And the big thing then, I suppose, you know, the the big thing is that we we do need a certain amount of growth to to run debt down as a percentage uh, of GDP. So... um, yeah, it's 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 difficult to know just what the government thinking is at the moment. Now, the expectation around the adjustment has has just come so far down from two billion. Now, um, you know, with a lot of commentators now talking about the zero, it's just difficult to know what the government are going to do. Mm. Chris, we're still some months out from the budget. Obviously, mm. won't be delivered until October. What's your view of the government's thinking at the well, moment? There's no need for for an adjustment. I think one of the one of the the smartest but the least likely things that that could happen now is that we just don't have one. Because one of the things that, that um, would help this economy to start spending a wee bit more than it is is a, w- is a bit of certainty about the future. And if people 
could sense that for the next couple of years that what we have is is is, is pretty much fixed in stone. Um, a do-nothing budget would be would be excellent in that regard, and and so in a sense that's what I mean by cancelling it. Mm. Um, the the likelihood, you know, that finance ministers always like to pull a rabbit out of a hat. They always like to tinker at the edges, um, and that you know we will get something that surprises us in the budget, but it will be small beer. I don't think I think Owen is absolutely right that. Um, Politically now, there is clearly going to be a very little overall adjustment one way or the other. So, you know, we've gone from having a minus two billion to something approaching um, X water charges zero now, which means that, you know, doing one thing either either on the negative or the positive side, isn't, it isn't going to amount to much. Okay, gentlemen, thank you. Owen Burke, Kennedy and Chris Johns, thank you for joining us. That's it from the show for this week. I'm Kieran Hancock. I was joined by producer, my thanks to producer Sinead O'Shea and to our sound engineer, Gary White. Until next week, take care. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.